Hello, welcome to episode 58 of Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we are here together, uh, alone actually. We've been uh, we've had quite a run of uh, guests over the last um, few episodes, but we've got a few, uh, quite a few big items of news uh, to talk about, so that's what we're going to concentrate on uh, today. And the first thing that we want to mention is that there is a new series of Newsjack. Uh, which you probably know. It's um, been up and running for a couple of episodes now, but there's still lots of time to write for it. They're looking for people exactly like you, yes, you, to come and write for the show. And there's still another, I think, four episodes. So um, let's just we have a just just rundown of what we think might be yes. required. Uh, yes, we do. L- we can also just say we're also going to talk about uh, Ben Elton and his comedy lecture. We've got a question uh, from a relatively seat, well, not relatively, properly seasoned writer, and then we're going to talk about Patreon as well. Mm. Um, Exciting. But, um, and we'll talk about Johnny as well, which we'll mention in a moment. But News Jack, um, so in the last episode but one, we talked to Jason Hazley, and it's interesting that he had tried to get topical stuff on mm. and hadn't been terribly successful in it, and yet obviously he is an incredibly successful writer. So it's worth using that in our minds to sort of moderate what we're saying, because for some people who are very good writers, that it just doesn't suit them at all. I think Richard Curtis was another example of someone who said, I could never write topical comedy. Um, right. And uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh not been a big problem for him, really, has it? No, exactly. So um, so we need to kind of temper that. But at the same time, I think it is really important, if you've not had a go, to have a go. And if you are having a go at getting stuff on Newsjack, it's worth having a good go, uh, rather than just thinking, oh, this isn't really for me. But actually, it is a really hard gig, and, it, uh, and Dave, you've got some experience of how, in some ways, it's got harder, or yeah. at least changed. So why don't you explain a bit about you know, just a bit of savvy advice on to do's and don'ts, really. Yes, we've got a few. There's a few uh, episodes that we've done before. Like uh, I think there's one where we interviewed Bill Dare, um, producer of Dead Ringers, and he talks a lot about writing topical comedy. And I think we've done a specific episode about writing for Newsjack. But in the last year or so, I'd say it's become uh, a lot harder to get sketches on now. There's a there's quite a lot of stand up in the show, but that does mean. Uh, there are lots of, they're looking for jokes, lots and lots of jokes. So it's kind of worth revisiting, I think, just um, talking about how to write topical jokes. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to tell you how to make your topical joke funny, but there are a few basic rules, I would say, when you're writing any sort of joke, um, and topical jokes have a few extra rules as well. So... Just to start to talk a little bit about writing jokes, um, like like everything in comedy, uh, there are three acts. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that's usually true with a, a sketch. Uh, it's actually sort of slightly less true with a sitcom because uh, sitcoms never end, we hope. Yeah. That's just why the last going. episode is always <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's yeah. true. We, um, as we talked about recently, I think, with uh, ever-decreasing circles. And The Good Life is the last terrible yeah. last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Seinfeld is... Uh, oh, people, man, uh, really stunk. Yes. So... Um, but apart from sitcom, <laughs> there are uh, three acts, and, uh, it, it, and it applies whether you're writing a two-minute sketch or a ten-second-long gag. Uh, act one is the setup, the beginning, as Aristotle called it. Um, act two are the complications that arise, and uh, that's called the middle. 
And then Act 3 is uh, what we call the end, uh, which is invariably the punchline. So all jokes uh, start with a setup, and then they have a complication, and then there's a punchline. Um, the difference with topical jokes is that those first two acts, uh, setup and complications, are already written for you. So uh, you really, with a topical joke, you only have to come up with the punchline because we already know the setup. The setup is that Brexit is happening. Yes, we know that. Ah, but here's a complication. Um, David Davis forgot to turn up this week uh, or whatever the, mm. the, the story is. Uh, and that's the complication. And now you have to write your joke based on that. Yes, all of the setup is Boris Johnson has gone to gone on a delegation to the Democratic Republic of Congo. <laughs> you know that's yes. that's I mean that that happens to be factually possibly true as implausible and mm. if if he has actually done that this week all you need to do is think of the punchline. Yeah. So you've got your setup already there. Your setup to some extent is the story. Yeah. Um and no doubt already, from James saying that, you've already thought of three or four uh, very good jokes off the back of that. Uh, now, the bad news is that everybody else has thought of exactly those same three or four jokes. And you go on Twitter and you'll see those three or four jokes and you'll see two or three uh, even different ones, really good ones that no one else has thought of. So this is the complication. This is the difficulty, is don't go with the obvious uh, answer. Mm. So, uh, yes, you don't have to do as much work on Act 1 and Act 2, but you really have to think of Act 3. And that's where your opinions come in. And I know that the producers of Newsjack say, uh, you know, don't be afraid to have your own opinions um, because your own opinions are yours. Uh, you might have similar views to a lot of people, but you've come to them uniquely. Um, and you may just find a way of finding to deal with this story that nobody else has. But it's going to take you a lot of work and a lot of thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, having a fresh angle, I think, is a very good way because there is a certain kind of um, not quite monoculture or metropolitan elite or whatever it is to. Uh, news jack necessarily but if you are from outside of a particular viewpoint i think it is worth trying to i mean i, I wouldn't i wouldn't try and pass off racist jokes as an alternative viewpoint that's probably uh, a bit of a misstep but you may have an, a better angle or an interesting angle um if the punchline of the joke is not essentially trump is a moron but trump is something else that might be interesting yeah um so you know the, there are there are ways of setting yourself apart, and I think in a way that's for me one of the main aims of of your involvement potentially in Newsjack, um, and to some extent the show what you wrote if that ever comes back, which is a non-topical open door policy show. Um, it's it's worth bearing in mind that part of your aim of writing for Newsjack is to get jokes onto Newsjack is to get material on Newsjack and have your name read out at the end or on the credits on the website or whatever it is. But that is only one of your aims. Um, I would say your aims should be more to improve as a writer, which writing for Newsjack will help you to do because it gives you that focus. And also to improve your relationships within the industry. 
Um, so if you have no contact with industry whatsoever, especially if you're not a performer and are ever likely to do a show at the Edinburgh Fringe, for example, um, it is well worth considering um, doing Newsjack because it is a way in. There is a producer of that show and there will be a different producer for the following series. So you want to be writing material that will at least get you noticed, even if you're not getting stuff onto the show very regularly. Mm. And uh, that's, that's just just to say that's uh, something that we have uh, given advice before, and it is worth repeating that the other th- reason for writing for Newsjack is it is there, and it's there for four more weeks, and you're going to try to get some stuff on this week, and you're not going to succeed, but or you may not succeed. Um, then the next thing you have to say is, well, I'm going to try again next week, and then you maybe don't succeed, and I'm going to try again next week. And that, in in essence, is what being a, a comedy writer is. You try and get stuff on, and you keep getting rejected and keep getting rejected until eventually um, somebody actually takes your stuff. Yes. And so that's another good reason for sticking at writing for New Jack, even if you're not getting stuff yes. on. Developing a thick skin... With the um, for the constant rejection that you will receive throughout your entire career, um, that is um, good practice for that mm. as well. The other thing to say is, if you're trying to, so it sounds obvious, and I'm sure we've said it before, is the show's already started going out, hasn't it? By the time we're recording this, it's mm-hmm. already out. Yeah. So listen to the show really carefully. Listen to it two or three times. Listen to the kind of material, and it is having having script edited an open door policy show called recorded for training purposes a while ago it is often surprising how much material you do get sent that you simply cannot use because it is the wrong format and you are sort of rather baffled as to why they've sent it to you and it is actually quite annoying and disrespectful to send somebody something which is essentially wasting their time Mm. so do listen very carefully to the show and it is quite hard to think you might want to sort of try to develop a format or a sketch slightly which might be interesting but if you do that too much or push it too far you will produce something that isn't going to be useful um but so it's just it is tricky to strike that balance the other thing it's worth doing is to um go along to a recording and Mm -hmm. to actually hear the show being recorded again and you will hear stuff um and you you will learn from that process you will realize quite even if you listen to the show and you don't actually think that highly of it, you then go and listen to it being recorded and you realise, oh, crikey, if I write stuff for this, it's going to be read out by professionals in front of 200 people and it's going to have to cut through and be funny. Or even, I may have written a joke and I've got a joke on the show and they go out and they record it and it doesn't get a laugh. That's a very uh, good education Yes, as well. absolutely. So it happens. Yeah, it does happen. So, and it's happened to plenty of people who have had subsequently very successful careers. So, in a sense, don't get too down, downcast, or disheartened by not getting stuff on. But I would see the show as a means to an end, and the end is your improvement as a writer. And it, obviously, developing perseverance is well worth doing, and getting stuff on is a wonderful shot mm. in the arm in terms of just getting a little bit of um, encouragement. Uh, It is a huge buzz to hear. The first time I heard my name on the credits of Weekending Mm. was a huge, huge buzz. And I've still got the cassette of it somewhere that I recorded off the radio. Um, But but actually, that doesn't last that long. Mm. 
which is why your aim has to yeah. be to uh, develop uh, rather than um, rather than get stuff on. Mm. I'm not sure they actually had cassettes the first time I got something on the weekending. I think it was a some kind of reel to reel thing or something. <laughs> no, or, or, a, or a monk <laughs> with a quill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the town crier announced it. So, um, he read out jokes. He did. Yes, the way you tell them. Which is um, which nicely. Uh, leads us to talk about a very a very nice uh, thing that happened to us uh, this week and it was uh, a writer a new writer like you who listened to this show and um, he has now just got himself a very nice job the contract writer's job at the BBC and his name is Johnny Addy mm-hmm. and he owes it all to sitcom geeks, apparently. In his own words. Yes. Um, so if you, if, you, if you go and look at the um, Facebook page, here's an incentive for you to look at the Facebook page. Uh, sitcom geeks. Sitcom geeks. If you look for us on Facebook, you'll find it. And he writes very nicely a few paragraphs about how he sort of set about it and the fact that somehow we set him on the right direction. Yeah. Um, he sort of just sort of... Um, uh, binged, listened to all of our podcasts, and um, and that helped him. Um, so, I mean, obviously Johnny has inherent talent, um, and we have merely fanned a few flames. Hopefully, not necessarily. <laughs> I think we can take nearly all the credit for it. Really, That's right. and um, I mean, we we are only asking for ten percent of Johnny's fees yeah, okay. uh, for for the rest of his life. Um, so, uh, so that was a really nice it thing. Was very nice, thank but you, it, Johnny. Good luck with your new job. Yeah, but it can be done, and in a, in a way, it's it's again always very easy to be downcast and think that the world is against you. But think there are other writers who are contract writers for Newsjack. Well, how did you think they got that? And mm. um, they got that through writing for Newsjack uh, for a series, two, three series even, getting noticed, getting a few jokes on, getting a few sketches on, and then they get invited into the next thing, and then they hear about other opportunities. This business does take a long, long time. Mm. And even though um, even though I am, I am 41 years old at the time of recording and have done very little other than write for the last 15 to 20 years... I still don't feel like I've made it. <laughs> um, so there is no one moment. If you're looking for that moment of I've arrived, then you've got a very, very long um, long wait. Thanks, um, says this now very depressed 58-year-old. Well, but, you don't, but, you're, but you've made a right li- living as a comedy writer That's true, yeah. for, your, for 30 years. Yeah. At least. When did you last? When were you last writing for or editing Venue magazine for in Bristol? Well... That's a very interesting question. Yes, thirty-seven years ago. Well, there you go. Yeah. So um, you know, and since when? Since then, you've almost exclusively worked writing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you, so <laughs> okay. all, my my, my overall point is, even when you have a career that yeah. other people think is a well-established comedy career, it doesn't feel like it. Mm. So if you're looking for that feeling, then um, stop looking or get over it. Because you will never feel, you know, I, I even in the last week or two, I just thought to myself, I've got to stop writing sitcoms. This is driving me absolutely mad. After a couple of conversations and some notes I had, and we'll talk about notes on the next episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, that feeling never really goes away. So yeah. um, get used to it. And writing for writing for Newsjack will sort of yeah. almost inoculate you. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows? You could become the next 
Ben Elton. Exactly. Well, and there we go. What I a went, segue. I thought I went for a nice Radio 4 type segue there. Yes. Talking of Ben Elton. Yes, that's right. Even though I don't think he's ever written for Radio 4 in his entire career. Probably not, no. Um, he's not needed to. Yes, they're not about to start making radio episodes of The Right Way um, anytime soon. Mm. Um, but yes, his comedy lecture, which is probably still just about glowing on iPlayer, if you mm-hmm. go and scramble for it now. Yep. Um, Which uh, I recommend you do. Yes, I very much do. There is a transcript available for it as well, if you maybe okay. Google that. Somebody put up a link. I think Griff uh, Phillips put up a link okay. somewhere right. to mm-hmm. um, a, a, you know, a transcript of the, of the lecture, which might be helpful if you can't watch it on iPlayer or you're abroad or something like that. If you're outside the UK, you probably can't see it on iPlayer mm. um, because you don't pay the licence fee. Exactly. So you don't deserve it. Um, <laughs> but what was the broad gist? How would you summarise, Dave, what he was saying? I would say, uh, and uh, bear in mind, this was a Ben Elton. Uh, it was the, the first Ronnie Barker lecture, uh, comedy lecture, yes. uh, which is kind of quite a portentous yeah. sounding thing um portentous pretentious what? pretentious yeah <laughs> uh, it, it, so it's, a, it's kind of it's always a difficult uh thing i think to put people talking about comedy on mainstream telly so it was a show that was designed i suppose principally to entertain people who are not um quite as geeky about comedy as as we are for instance yeah but i suppose it was basically saying give audience sitcom a chance um, and stop slagging it off so much, um, and I think I think he put a very strong case for that. Uh, the, that that was the main thing is that that, that social media and critics uh, look down on audience sitcom. But we love it. I mean, you, you, it's this kind of stuff. If you've listened to any of our episodes, it's, mm. it's kind of basically saying everything that we've been saying um, for the last sort of two, three years. So we've been banging on about it. So um, we were basically in agreement. We thought it was a very good thing, didn't we? Yes, I was. I mean, at the end of it, I mean, I was slightly cringing at the very prospect of it. And part of me was just upset and cross that the BBC was spending yet more comedy money <laughs> making something that isn't actually a comedy. Um, they already make more documentaries about previous comedies than is than is That's sensible true. or healthy. That's true. Yeah. Um, in and fact, they, the documentary about the Ben Elton uh, yes, <laughs> lecture is the going making to be the of next, yeah, yes. yeah, of the Ronnie Barker lecture. Um, I mean, I don't ever need to see another documentary about mm-hmm. any uh, making of any sitcom. And then um, he's told this joke, and the audience laughed. Yes, and exactly. Uh, stick that into and any Del of those. And fell through the bar. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, and they sort of peppered peppered the lecture with clips and stuff so yeah. to sort of keep everybody interested, and not just clips, the clips that you've seen a thousand times. Which yes. although uh, actually I um, hadn't seen, there was a um, some others do have them with a, that car. Oh, no, over I, the cliff. I don't remember that. I don't. I didn't yeah. remember that one at yeah. all. That was very felt uh, like the Italian one. job sort of ending. Yes. Yeah, 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 and um, um, and the big. Thing I'd completely forgotten from um, the young ones, in which uh, they totally, totally slagged off the good life. Yes, um, and it went, I yeah. felt in that Ben Elton was sort of slightly ashamed of what he'd written, hmm. but actually you go, no, no, Vivian would hate the good life. Yeah, that's not. You know, it felt like Ben was underselling himself. I'm calling him Ben like I know him. I met him <laughs> once in my life. Um, it's like um, Ben Elton was apologising for the fact that he was giving his opinion, but it wasn't his opinion, it was Vivian's opinion, and Vivian would hate the good life. Mm. I think what, although what he was saying as well was that that's 
uh, that that's what is required. Uh, every now and then, somebody needs to come and tear the whole uh, edifice down, and and uh, that's in a sense what the young ones did. And uh, I think what he's saying, he probably watched some episodes of the young ones as research, not having watched it for twenty odd years, and probably thought, oh my god, this really has yeah. not aged well. Which it hasn't. I've said that before. Yeah. It's, it, it hasn't aged well, but it was so fantastic when it came out. It wasn't kind of made to age yeah. really. Um, it was made to kind of cause exactly the kind yeah. of shock that it did. It was, it was like it was an anti-sitcom, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. And yeah. in the same way that Monty Python was an anti-sketch show to some yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. And those, and actually, the original Python episodes of their mm. sketch show aren't terribly good. Yeah. If you go back, um, you know they oh, were sort of. Don't watch an episode of Monty Python. Honestly, yeah, you will. I mean, sit the, mov- the movies are pretty much perfect. Yeah, but the. Um, but the actual TV series is sort of rather baffling and strange. But it was trying mm. to be. Yeah. Um, it was trying to be not the two Ronnies. Exactly. It was trying to be yeah. not um, all the mainstream stuff. Yeah. So that stuff has its place. But mm. you don't need to stop doing the mainstream stuff. Um, yeah. So I think he pointed to also the change in how single camera stuff took over and how non-audience stuff starting with the royal family and then into the office. Mm. And you know he was at pains to pay tribute to really good single camera shows yeah um so he wasn't trying to say it should be this and not that yeah um and i thought overall his point about um the british have a bit of a problem with someone trying to be funny yeah and i thought that was a really good point Mm. about how how vulgar it is and that he did sort of slightly go on about critics probably slightly too long even Mm. though i think Everything he said was probably justified. Yeah. But underlying a lot of critical dislike mm. of mainstream comedy is that idea that someone's trying to be funny. Yeah. And therefore, and I would have gone further with his critics' point rather than labouring the point he made. I would have probably said that critics are too harsh on mainstream comedy and probably give a single camera non mainstream comedy a little bit of an easy ride. Yeah. And so they do tend to say of non-audience stuff that possibly isn't terribly good, this needs a while to bed in. But they would never say that about a mainstream comedy show, Mm. a studio camera show. They would sort of say, you know, a critic would be much more likely to say, I know you're meant to say these times take a while to bed in, but three minutes in you could tell this was going to be a disaster. Yeah. Which... Which is sort of not true, really. And, so, it is, and I think that's, um, and again, uh, Ben Elton does make uh, that point that the sitcom audience sitcom, more than any other form, does really polarise people. And he talked about the time that he met Ronnie Barker and he was with uh, Rowan Atkinson and Stephen Fry and they were at some Christmas party, BBC party, and Ronnie Barker turned to the three of them and he said to Rowan Atkinson, I like you, and then Stephen Fry, I quite like you, and then Ben Elton, but I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, 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 you know, obviously was, was kind of quite a, a hurtful thing for, to, to happen, but actually, as Ben generously said, well, you know, audience sitcom angers uh, angers everybody, yeah. even Ronnie Barker. Yeah. He's obviously sat watching his telly, watching some Ben Elton thing, thought, oh, God, I really can't stand this bloke. Which I have to say, when we were doing Saturday Live, and that, that we were, uh, my generation of working stand-up comedians at the time, we all felt exactly the same. We were all absolutely shocked and surprised that everybody said, oh, Ben Elton, he's really brilliant. And we said, no, 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 he's doing, he's doing like fake Ben Elton, he's doing fake electric 
sexy sale and uh, you know you must come and see me doing performing to 80 people at the Camden Head not watch him and, mm. on telly um, and we soon realised that actually well he was basically professionalising what we were doing as, yeah. as uh, amateurs yeah. um, to some extent he was the Michael McIntyre and the and the lightning rod yes. for people who say, but sitcom can be so, you know, but comedy yeah. can be so much more. It's like, yeah. yes, yes, it can, <laughs> and for lots of people, it doesn't need to be. They don't want it to be. So I, I actually came to this uh, uh, program slightly dreading it because I, I I've always felt a bit down on Ben Elton the performer, but I have to say I thought it was a great performance and it made me laugh quite a lot as well. Um, but interestingly, on the polarisation front, well, a, a lot of, um, well, a few friends of ours, colleagues, writer colleagues, mm. uh, hated it, hated the Ben Elton programme. They felt it was terrible and that it said nothing new. Uh, and there's things like, uh, you know, well, it's, uh, there's nothing wrong. There are lots of laugh out loud uh, single camera sitcoms, which I think, I do think, as you say, he, he did deal with that. Um, yes, about... Uh, and I the fact that... But it's very easy to point to the fact that he wrote sitcoms that were widely disliked and didn't mm. succeed, like, the right way. Yeah. And uh, and there was another one called Blessed, I remember a while ago, oh, which yes. had Ardlo Hanlon. And Rob and Webb. Rob right? Webb was the yeah. smug next-door neighbour. Mm. And that was sort of widely disliked. Um, mm. I don't remember seeing much of it. I remember not, not loving it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, but as if he, he's written some terrible comedies... And therefore, he doesn't deserve to give his opinion on on all this because yeah, the man he, who co-wrote the Young Ones and Blackadder, uh, yes, has, and, has and, no right to talk about yeah, sitcom. And also, Upstart Crow, yeah, and, which is, which is a good. perfectly decent show. It's not, you know, it ain't no Blackadder, but it's yeah. very. I mean, I watched. I think I watched at least five out of the six episodes, right. all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I switched off the Macbeth one because I just found it. Slightly baffling and annoying, but overall, <laughs> don't I, get angry, James. No, no, I, yes, exactly. I, but I, I really enjoyed. You know, I thought it was a really good vehicle for David Mitchell. Yeah, and I have to say, I, you know, um, I like that kind of comedy, um, yeah. and so does Ben Elton, and he's not ashamed of it, really. And so, so. do millions of viewers. Yes, exactly. And the, it was really a cry, uh, a cry to the B, cry to, for help to the BBC. Uh, I think as much as anything else, please make more audience sitcoms. Yes, rather than commissioning yeah. comedy lectures. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, not everyone's going to agree with us, obviously, but mm. um, I think the other thing, there is, I'm going to blow my own trumpet slightly, but uh, a, a few months ago, I wrote quite a long blog post about why mainstream sitcom is not going terribly well. And there are lots of other factors in that, um, so if you want to go and have a look at that. And so I, I think there is a lot more to be said. Yeah. Um, you know, so, for example, an awful lot of mainstream comedy from the 70s and 80s and 90s is, A, still being repeated. Mm-hmm. And so we are now competing with the best of 70s, 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, it's been, it was written by people who used to entertain the troops and who used to work in holiday camps, and who had a really good mainstream sensibility in a way that hasn't quite been replicated in any great detail. It's interesting that that the mainstream sitcoms that have been successful are uh, Lee Max not going out, Miranda Hart's um, Miranda, and um, Mrs. Brown's Boys. And they've all had live shows and live followings and have experience of that, um, as opposed to writers who sort of... um, haven't you've sort of written tried to write movies or write, yeah. written non-audience stuff or drama or radio 
Um, well, it's something that we touched upon, I think, in the uh, Edinburgh episode, how um, what we, we've lost a little bit, what comedy writers have lost a little bit with sitcom, is uh, the art of storytelling. And a lot of the, the, the comedy, in the same way the performers came out of those uh, the, the, the holiday camps and, and entertaining the troops, the writers came out of the theatre. Mm. And so they had a sense of drama and uh, they knew how to tell a story. And so many sitcoms now are the, 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 the story, the narrative is just not strong enough. Mm. And overall, I think the other thing I really enjoyed Ben Elton saying, which really resonated with me, is I think he talked about joy. Yeah. And I think that's something that mainstream sitcoms tend to have, which is why I tend to like them. And there is a lot of comedy which is not very joyful. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone can accuse something like Flowers mm. of being joyful. <laughs> and do you know what? I don't want to watch that. Yeah. Um, I, I gave Flowers a go and I thought... Me, know, me too. Plenty I of people. Didn't, didn't enjoy yeah. it because I like joy and I like laughing, yeah. which is why I'm still munching my way through Modern Family, which yeah. is still almost as good as it ever has been. Well, that's and, 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 um, and that's another thing as well is that uh, which 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 does annoy me when people say, oh, you know, family sitcoms, oh, they're just oh, they're so sort of saccharine, and you know, I much prefer dark humour. You know, there's a lot of darkness in Modern Family. There's a yeah. lot of darkness in my family. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people there was will, a lot of darkness you know, in Steptoe and Son. There was oh, a lot of darkness it, in, in yeah, and I mean, and 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 that that is a point. You you know, the fact that there isn't a great great deal of darkness in the sitcoms that are currently successful uh is i i i think you know not doesn't mean there there can be no darkness i mean they've they're doing porridge again and that's uh i, I apparently the, the the pilot was very good it's going out in a couple of weeks or the new series um but you know it's set in prison there's not gonna it's not going to be all sweetness and light it can't be <laughs> yeah and the as, as the original wasn't either even no. though Prisons sort of aren't like that, you would imagine. Mm. You sort of believed enough yeah. uh, in the situation and the characters. Mm. Um, so yeah, so the good shows have that. I mean, the great sitcom, which always wins the, the you know the, the tournaments, mm. is Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, and that had genuine drama in it and yeah. genuine mm-hmm. emotion and you know and when when Dell got married and when Dell became a dad and everything, yeah. you know, the whole nation was sort of with him. Yeah. As this guy who struggled his whole life, mm-hmm. um, you know, was was sort of winning at life, and we yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. So um, his character developed over the, the several years, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in the way partly the way the audience wanted it to go, but also it just became it, it went from being you know kind of just just very rough around the edges comedy, and it was all all comedy um but that it, it became so successful then it started to get audiences who aren't just mm. wanting to watch comedy and that's what you know how do you get 11 12 13 million people watching your show well once you've got your people who are just watching for comedy you also need mm. to get people who enjoy drama and that's yeah you know that's what sitcom needs and i think also last thing on this really is that um the BBC doesn't help itself. So when it does make an out-and-out-and-out-and-out comedy-comedy show, mm. a pilot with Tim Vine called Tim Vine Travels in Time... Which I've yet to see. Because, um... it, because it takes place... Because it's part of the comedy playhouse, mm. it obviously has to go out at 10.35 at night 
Right. Uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was audience, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. It's a, it's a show for the whole family. Yeah, it? it should have. I mean, yeah. I watched it with my daughters who were nine and seven, and they mm-hmm. laughed all the way through. Right. I laughed all the way through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sam Wollaston and The Guardian, who clearly has never seen Tim Vine's live act before, yeah. was baffled by how mainstream it was. Right. Um, uh-huh. And so <laughs> you just think, I know it's a comedy playhouse and part of your series, but put it on at six o'clock, mm. won't you? Or put it on yeah. at seven. Yeah. On a Saturday, I did see the <coughs> second one, the Spencer Jones one, and uh, very, very funny. Oh, really great! Funny, I've not seen that show. one yet. Which yeah. one was that? Um, uh, it's just just him in in, in a kind of uh, setup with a girlfriend and, okay. and the, the in-laws and uh, studio did, did, wall. No uh, audience, but a uh, non-audience, okay. but but very, very funny. Okay, great, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we like jokes. We like funny. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, one more, a couple more things before we finish. Yeah. We we had uh, a tweet from Susan Nixon, mm. um, and it's rather a, a proper, curious tweet. Yes, uh, given a, how six, Susan Nixon, the writer of two pints, you know, eighty episodes of, mm-hmm. um, some of which were written by uh, John Brown and Tim Dawson and folk, um, and also of, um, uh, I want to say, adults, grown ups, grown ups, yes, um, and a very successful writer. She. Asked the question, what, what did she tweet she to us? She said, I want to know what the working, not during production, day of other writers is honestly like. What is our working day like? James, do you want to have a quick example of your working day? Um, well, you just think, well, today is an, un- un- is an unusual day because mm. we're recording a podcast in the morning and this afternoon I'm recording uh, two episodes of my radio sitcom, Be Lucky, and mm. I'm in London for it. So today is an unusual day, but then you think, well, how often do I have usual days? <laughs> um, but over the last few months, so I work from home, I live in Somerset and I tend to spend most of my time, uh, on my own. Um, I try to get as much work done in the morning as I can. I try to start about nine thirty, ten o'clock in terms of just, I've usually got a treatment to improve, a script to write, a, a thing to do. And I sort of, I try to set a, an aim for my day where I need to get this improved, I need to get that treatment done, I need to get eight pages of this script written or I need to get that done by the end of the week Or so I tend to work in the mornings have lunch, have a swim um, at the gym and then work from four till six seven o'clock depending on when I'm having dinner with my kids um, I do occasionally if I'm really busy work at bedtime from about 10 o'clock. I can't work between 7 and 10. I've just figured that out, that I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after 10, I might get some more work done. Um, but I tend to find I can only rewrite at night. I can't write, but I can edit and rewrite right. stuff. Uh-huh. So I would say a normal day is therefore is spent at home. And I might go out to Starbucks in Yeovil um, in either the morning or the afternoon session rather than just be in one place the whole time. So you are the, the writer with the laptop in Starbucks yeah, then? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the, the one who isn't working on a screenplay. Yes, it's not the a screenplay. <laughs> it's very rarely, it's very rarely a screenplay. Right, but, yeah. So that's kind of... And then I spend an awful lot of time doing admin and not writing. Well, exactly. Like, you know, and I spend... A lot, so... I laugh When I saw that tweet on the Friday, uh, I laughed the, the hollow laugh of somebody who had spent 
several hours that day um, sorting out um, uh, paying people money that I owed, partly on the basis that I'd been waiting so long for a, a cheque that should have come three months earlier. Um, and so finally it came and then I had to deal with that. And there was uh, half an hour of that involved um, explaining to um, the people at British Gas who come and um, turn off your gas if you don't pay the bill um, that I paid that bill three months earlier and that, that so that was a like half an hour of yeah. Friday and um, from a writing point of view I was I had in the morning set out to work on a sitcom idea but I actually got a commission a writing commission that I was very surprised uh, pleasantly surprised uh, just to write an article for a uh, newspaper which I then uh, I got the email at 7am saying can you have it for us by 11am uh, so I did because you know I was a journalist and I'm quite good at that deadline thing um, and then they wrote back to me saying oh sorry this isn't quite right and we need something else and we need this as well so I had then had to spend another Two hours rewriting and changing it and getting it in, and I don't even know if they want it now. So that was um, the four hours that I oh. was going to spend uh, doing sitcom writing. Was spent writing this one article that may actually end up not going, not going out now. So um, yes, a, a day is largely spent spent um, trying to write and trying to. St- Stick the admin over to one side, which yeah. is very hard when uh, the British gas people ring you for the fourth time that morning. So um, it really is yeah. easy to get blown off course and to do things that you know you need to do at some point, and you might as well do them now. But if you consistently encroach into your working day, um, then you will never get anything done. Mm. One thing I don't, I mean, one thing I never do during the day is I never watch television. Mm. Um, I don't ever... The only exception to that is when there's a test match on. <laughs> and I might have it on, and I might go and watch a wicket, or I might have a late lunch um, and time it with the end of the cricket lunch break, and I might watch half an hour of cricket. But overall, um, the only media I consume is five minutes of YouTube here and there, yeah. and then a podcast on the way to the gym or something. I do, um, and I'm sure we're all guilty of this, and uh, I spend probably far more time than I would like to do, and than I realise I do, um, looking at Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I can pretend, because on Friday, um, there was just a few of us were having a little chat about um, sort of comedy matters. One of them was the Ben Elton thing, so I was sort of able to pretend that I was yeah. I was actually, oh, this is work, because oh, we're going to yeah, talk yeah. about Ben Elton Um, so uh, I I can sort of fool myself a little bit um, that social media is work but um, I don't don't give myself too hard a time for being on Facebook because most people in their working day have colleagues and people they can chat with when they go off to make the coffee and all that kind of stuff that's true and although I do have um, my wife uh, at home um, I could go and talk to her or my children um I, but, so what would you what do you think about the Ben Elton lecture? Well, exactly. Yeah, we're not really going to discuss that um, in any great detail. Though I did watch it with her because you know it's my job and she was interested. Right. So, um, but oh, as a as a general rule of thumb, I try to uh, keep that to a minimum. But I don't feel bad about the amount of time I do spend on Facebook generally, just because I'm sitting working on my own no. and. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not made of stone. I can't, you know, I'm not a machine to just yeah. cr- cranks out jokes and stuff. So I kind of roll with that. But I, I kind of, because I tend to set myself goals for the day or for the week. I and I tend to also offer scripts for a deadline 
uh, knowing full well that when I've done that, I've actually got to hit that deadline. Mm. Um, so I slightly stitch myself up on purpose so that I <laughs> will have to get this done by then. Yeah. Um, that's a way of making sure that if I do waste an hour or two in the morning, I might make it up at 10 p.m. till midnight. Right. Occasionally I'll work till 2 a.m. Um, from I work from 10 till 2 uh, because there's nothing on social media. I'm not getting emails. I'm not being asked to do anything else. So I so maybe once every two to three weeks I might do half a day's work in the middle of the night um, and and then get up slightly late. But that's usually because I've either got I've either misjudged how much work I've got to do and taken on too much, or I've or I've you know a family things come up and I lose half a day and I make yeah. it up. So mm-hmm. um, as a general rule of thumb, I my personality type is such that. I'm never going to be accused of not working hard enough. Right, okay. Um, but at the same time, I waste time as much yeah. as the next man. My personality type is whatever type gets distracted a lot. Right. So I have to really force myself to dis- be disciplined on this. Yeah. So that's... Um, so that's um, so, Susan. That's, that's two wildly different yeah. <laughs> uh, takes, which are probably not that different from your own experience and and the experience of maybe Curi- others. Yes, curious to know what your experience is. Yes, and you you could always come on the show, Susan. But I know mm. how much you would hate that. But uh, we would love it if you did. Yes, please do. Please do. Um, mm. Let's talk about finally Patreon. Yes, and uh, which we should explain. Patreon is uh, a way of um, it's it's one of the latest uh, types of kind of Kickstarter uh, projects. Uh, really, it's um, to help people who do creative things carry on that normally they do for free. It's to help them. Um, well, it's to pay them to do it. Um, which brings us to sitcom geeks. Yes, exactly. So um, we enjoy doing this, and uh, at the moment we are doing a fortnightly podcast, and we have no plans to stop doing that. We're just going to keep doing that, and it's going to be stuck on iTunes and SoundCloud and everything. And so there's British no change to that. Guide. So yeah. this this may well not affect you, but we have thought that it would be good to do a bit more with it. And if it's going to take up a bit more of time, a bit more of our time, it would be good to have a little bit of a budget to play with. Um, it's unlikely to end up actually in our tax um, <laughs> tax deductible pockets, as it were, um, or taxable pockets because there are expenses to do with the show. But um, you know, I have to take train trips to London sometimes so we can be in the same room to record them. But but overall, uh, we think we could we've got a bit of capacity to offer a bit more content. So if if people want to subscribe via Patreon, and we'll put some links up. On, on our Facebook page and our own uh, websites as well. Um, then you can either pay a little bit just to say thanks for the podcast and then you can pay a little bit more and get access to an extra podcast a month, um, a bit of a newsletter and other bits and pieces that we'll sort of get going once we sort of feel our way to how this sort of thing might work out. Hmm. But we think it's uh, it would be good um, that there'd be some interesting things that we could offer. The more of you who are interested in this, the more things we may be able to to do. Uh, we've had some sort of fairly grand ideas actually about um, 
uh, create how to actually creating a sitcom from scratch, which we'd like to do sometime. But we we just we we basically have more ideas than we have the time to commit to doing yeah. them at the moment. And yeah. we 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 would love to know if you were interested in that, or if there are any things that you would like us uh, to do more of. Yeah. Um. So contact us. Give yeah. us a, a, a Gmail us sitcomgeeks at gmail dot com. Um. Yes, write notes on the Facebook page to us as yeah. well. Uh, which is yeah, do comment on the Facebook yeah. page. Um, otherwise, our, uh, otherwise you won't even see our updates. If you like us on Facebook and mm. people don't leave any comments, then Facebook will assume that nobody cares and therefore it's not actually going to appear on your feed. So if you would like your uh, Sitcom Geeks updates to appear on your feed, um, do feel like you should comment occasionally yes. Because their algorithms are pretty yes. brutal. We are slave to the algorithm. Yes. So sometimes we... So I don't know how many followers we've got on uh, sit, on Facebook at the moment. It's a couple of hundred. But if, you, if we put up a link or something that people might find interesting and nobody comments, sometimes on the dashboard that we can see, it says, uh, this has been read by 61 people. Mm. And you think, oh, wow, so... Over over two thirds of the people who actually have said they like sitcom geeks are not, e- are not even being shown this link. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and the reason that they're not being shown is because people don't comment, and that's how they evaluate mm. whether people are interested in it or not. Um, because they're trying to basically deliver a crack cocaine social media <laughs> network, which people um, need to engage with. So what we're actually asking you to do is. Write more, spend more time on Facebook (laughs) and pretend to yourself that it's all about your comedy career. It's really important to you that you do that. (laughs) Uh, uh, So that's a very, very well pointed out uh, thing there. Um, So, yeah, do do look at some Facebook. So we'll put up Patreon details on there um, and we'll just sort of try and calibrate that about right. Overall, if you like the show and you would like to show your appreciation for it, Joining Patreon would be a really good way of doing it. You can also buy our books. My book is called Writing That Sitcom, which you can get via my blog, um, which is sitcomgeek.blogspot.com. Mine is How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy, but in fact I have a new book which I may... I haven't yet decided what I'm going to do with it and may just become something specifically for Patreon people. So you yes, Exactly, know. yes. And maybe um, if you join Patreon, uh, you could get a free e-copy of my book too mm. um as a thank you for joining um so yeah so that's the plan anyway we'll see how we go we've managed to get to 58 episodes sort of lurching through yep. every fortnight we've hardly missed a beat which is which is good yeah um but it would be good to do another 58 um and maybe do some extra ones for subscribers and maybe have a first 10 pages if you're a subscriber yep. and we'll do you know subscribers only first 10 pages episodes where we can um, brutally rip apart uh, your 10 pages and hopefully get more people getting jobs like Johnny Addy has Absolutely. managed so, it, it, yeah. it does work it, it does, can yes. work <laughs> um, but I hope we set realistic expectations mm. so that's the show thank you very much and tune in again in two weeks time bye bye <laughs>